Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts. And today I'm going to be talking about what happens in the meadow at dusk and whether it's everything or nothing. (laughs) But actually, I'm going to talk about wildflowers. I just wanted to shout out um, to I Heart Huckabees real quick. I mean, look, an iconic film. Um, And I'm going to be talking about how we can like shift the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, about our experiences using plants, which sounds real um, broad because it kind of is, but it's fun, whatever. I think it's a good topic. But then I'm also talking about the geography of the underworld in Greek mythology, because Nick and I were talking about like what to cover this week. And Nick, I know you had suggested Asphodel, but then when I started doing the research, I was like, you know what, let's just kind of give a topographical overview of the underworld and talk about like the different major landmarks. And it was fun. I do love, I love the like Greek underworld. I I do too. I do too. Um, shout out to the magicians for kind of like going there, but not really going there but like there's so much like of the greek underworld in the sort of underworld of the magicians oh a hundred percent i do think that like one of my most favorite i guess modern retellings that includes stuff about the underworld is in the um i think it's scarlet saint Clair's hades and persephone i just really like the way the underworld functions in that story but We can talk more about, like, different underworld representations later. Nick, I want to, like, give you the floor. I'm going to be like, when did you feel magical? But also just, like, talk about where you've been. Because everyone who listens knows you weren't here last week, which was a well-deserved break. (laughs) So, okay. It, um, it's, it's been a wild ride. I think I'm going to rank, like, kind of the shit that's been going on sort of in order of importance to me but just know that all of it together has been just a real kind of shitstorm. so um i did find out uh just over a week ago at the time of recording that my cat oliver uh is positive for the feline leukemia virus and so this is uh my reminder to all of you inside cat or not get the test just yeah, get the test. test and vaccinate y'all it's like it's so scary it's so scary because oliver was br- i mean we did the kind of timelines on it and like oliver was briefly an outdoor cat over 10 years ago and that's yeah the only and to, t- but to call him an outdoor cat even i think it, it's like he wasn't like just chilling roaming 24 7 no he was like forced to be outside that was not my choice um when my veterinarian for Custo recommended that i get him a friend to alleviate uh, to alleviate his stress relieviate that sounds like um it's in like a brand name for an allergy medication yeah it's like that sounds like a pharmaceutical gosh i, I wish i had some relieviate right now you know <laughs> uh but no so i was like hey old roommate is that beautiful sweet cat still just living in your parents yard yeah um i don't think i don't think she listens to this podcast it really wouldn't be her thing but um you know 
I, I still question that move. I think she probably had the money to pay the pet deposit uh, and just- Oh, Hundo P. Hundo. Didn't want to. Um, all of that to say, like we did the timeline. He's had it for over 10 years. It's still super scary though, because it is spread through grooming. And guess what my two cats, including my much younger cat, who is like not even three years old, um, do every single night before bed. They groom each other. Yeah, like cats do. Like cats do. Uh, they actually refer to it as a friendly cat's disease, if you can believe that. Uh, because, you know, I mean, you can get it from like bloodshed and fighting, but it's most common in saliva and therefore grooming. Yeah, um, so cats that love each other. Yeah, cats that love each other. Um, all of that to say, I, I just had a really scary kind of week, like, you know, waiting to bring Faye in to get tested, which thankfully she is negative and now vaccinated. Um, but I, I mean, in all of this, of course, it's Valentine's week, right? So work was fucking nuts. I mean, I work at a really sort of low key romantic restaurant, right? Like there's candles on the table and shit. So people come there this time of year. It's a date uh, location. It's a date location. We, we've had people come in to propose because their first date was there. It's like that kind of place, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it was just, it was, it was too much. But then uh, to, to cap all of that off, um, I did get uh, sort of dumped the Thursday before I, all of this. Um, in the weirdest situation of all time. In a very, very weird situation. And you know what I will say is that um, I know that the the person um, has listened to episodes of this podcast. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to be too disparaging, but... But it was weird. It was weird. It was... Um, I mean, maybe not sudden... You know what I will say is that, you know, and I will just share here, um, is that he did kind of say, I, I, and, you know, such a red flag, such a huge red flag that, you know, he's not really as experienced as I am with dating, right? But that um, he thought if he was in a dating situation, he would be more obsessed with the other person the way he is when he's like got a crush oh that's not what relationships are and I was like that's actually not what I'm trying to do like at all and I don't you know it's all of that to say you guys it was a weird week last week um but I'm back Woo! I'm but so also, glad you're back when I felt when I felt the magic this week actually was kind of in between like finding out that Oliver is uh, FELV positive and going in to get test Faye tested, which was later on in the week. I mean, you know, as much as I tried to just go back the same day, they were like, that's not how vet appointments work. I'm so sorry. Um, rude. It, and it was rude. Um, but no. So, you know, I had a couple days in between to just kind of be at the peak of anxiety and this year the mountain laurels are blooming in february 
bananas. Which is absolutely bananas, um, which is kind of what inspired our my topic this week. But I had kind of walked around the corner um, and was, you know, taking one of my usual little walks that I take. And I just get that hit of like grapey mountain mm-hmm. laurel. Really, it's such an elegant Yum. fragrance. It is such an elegant fragrance. But also, like, there was like a cotton candy sunset. And I swear on everything I believe in that I saw a tiger swallowtail butterfly, which admittedly is a very common butterfly in this area. But I just had that, like, I just had one solid minute of just being like, everything's okay right now. Like, I'm fine. The cats are fine. It's a beautiful evening. Just breathe. Like, the universe was just being like, chill the fuck out, bitch. Yeah. Just just breathe. Take and, a deep breath. You'll manage. And I did, and I felt really good, really grounded, and that was that was my moment of the week. I love it. I think for me, you know, I, I kind of talked about it a little bit when Eric was on because we recorded so late last week, but... I really have been like digging some time in my garden recently just because I have been going through a rough emotional period, which happens often uh, this time of year. But, you know, I think for anyone who's listened for a long time knows that like I lost my sister almost a year ago. Her birthday would have been at the beginning of this month. So, you know, it's been like kind of a tough time for me emotionally, just like it was one of those things that like snuck up and I was like, fuck, it's like back to back. Cause it's like February is Leslie's birthday. And then the end of March is going to be like a full year from when Leslie died, which is like crazy to think about how it's been so long already. So I've been, you know, just trying to find little moments of like grounding and being in nature. Cause I think, you know, I don't know. I hope that no one has had to go through like this kind of grief, but I know most people have, but it, it does. I think in some ways I've been struggling with feeling kind of like I've lost a year essentially because it was like, I lost so much momentum on so many different things I had been working on. And I feel like I haven't really made much progress, but then, you know, it's like remembering that it's a seed and things will sprout And I have greens coming up on all of my daffodils and my borage and calendula has sprouted and my indigo has sprouted. So it's like, I have all these little sprouts coming up. And I think for me right now, there's something about that that has just been like, every time I see it, it's like hitting me in the gut because I do feel very much like I have not been, I don't know, I kind of feel like I've been underwater for about a year now, which, you know, sounds dramatic, but I think anyone who's had like big close loss knows that it happens so my garden I think has been giving me a lot also I took a bath on the Pisces new moon so you know I was like I have a hankering for a bath and then I was like oh it's a new moon in Pisces that that tracks okay (laughs) but yeah no I mean it's it really has been such a year yeah and like I was literally thinking it doesn't, it really does not feel like a year ago that I was like out doing wildflower reels. Yeah. 
It's been a really crazy year. So I'm excited to kind of like take this. I know that both of our topics, I feel like are a little broad, but I think that that's good because I mean, at least for mine, I think some of it's kind of a choose your own adventure, but I'm going to talk about a few specific plants. So I guess let's like get going, right? Um, Absolutely, Oprah. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, Oprah. So, you know, I think that for me, it's like maybe because I'm digging more into shadow work, maybe because this year, as mentioned, has been one of the biggest shit shows of my like anything I can remember. Um, But I keep coming across like this like topic of like shifting the stories that we're telling ourselves, right? So shifting your own stories, shifting the stories you've told yourself about yourself. Um, But then I also came across this like great article in the Herbarium's library that was called, and I quote, herbs and empaths, storied herbs for story shifting. So I was like, the story must be told, right? Um, No, and I, I, I actually feel like, I feel like this is one of those situations where are separate segments which we have written separately it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing it's a good thing <laughs> it's a good martha's thing. in the Mar- um, so martha's here she's saying it's a good thing martha is she approves um <laughs> so one of the things i want to like kind of preface about is like today the plants that i'm talking about and sort of the practice i'm talking about isn't about like serious depth work right like even like on the medicinal level these aren't things that I'm talking about that are like for PTSD these are things that are like they're these plants that fit the definition of what some people call and I quote small openers right so they're things that can have like little shifts that can eventually have like larger domino effects overall but the point is that like these are plants that are meant to be used over and over repeatedly for an extended amount of time for the most part. Of course, always like talk to your doctor, yada, yada, yada. Um, But there have been research studies that like show the way that like plants can help shift and stretch your emotions, right? And like we see this throughout history. There are certain plants that come up again and again as like spiritual ally plants or like plants that are holders of the human spirit. But like, there's also science for this. So in 2006, they did this study on a population of older Korean women, and they received three short massages, like 20 minutes weekly using essential oils of lemon, chamomile, rosemary, and lavender. There was also a control massage group. Don't worry, no Korean old women in the study made it out without their thrice weekly massages. But after six weeks, they did find that there was a reduction overall in anxiety and improved like self-esteem and self-perception in the group that had the massages with essential oil, right? So it's like here we're looking at things that are like regularly used, even just topically applied and the way that they can kind of like shift the way participants see themselves. So I find this super inspiring and there are a few plants that I kind of want to talk about that I think are great candidates for this type of work but then I also want to encourage you to choose your own adventure follow like your gut instinct what makes sense to you and what I'm suggesting today is is what we refer to in herbalism as simples and so that's working with one plant 
I love a blend. Y'all know I love a blend. I make tea blends all the time. But for this practice, I'm really like hoping that you'll think about picking one plant to work with. That way you can like focus in on how it's shifting and how it's changing things and how you're getting to know it. So one of the plants that I think is like a genius choice for this type of work is passion flower, right? So one of the coolest things about passion flower is that it has GABA in it, right? And so like GABA is involved in your brain functioning. It helps with like empathy. Um, it also has this chemical in it that's called um, passiflorine, which is very similar structurally to morphine, but it doesn't have like quite as intense like dampening effects, which is why you can use it for things like pain relief, but it doesn't necessarily have all of the really intensive side effects that we see with morphine. But the reason that something like this is a good candidate for this type of work is if you think about your brain and the structures in your brain for empathy, I think that for some people, a greater sense of empathy is like a shift that's important to make. And that doesn't necessarily just mean for others. You know, it can also be like for yourself. But I think that the idea of like becoming a more empathetic person, like really creating a bit of patience, it's like it's got that cooling, demulcent kind of effect. I think that for someone that has like a really fiery, intensive personality, something like regular work with passion flower could kind of help bring those small shifts. Again, we're not talking about like changing the way you function as a person, but we are thinking about how you can kind of lean into things that you want to highlight. And so working with passion flower can look like, you know, taking a tincture a few times a day, making an infused oil and doing self-massage. Um, I'm going to talk about a plant in a second that I think is a perfect candidate for that, but you can also do that with passion flower. Um, but y'all know as a gardener, I'm also going to tell you that I think growing the plant can be a really, really fantastic way to engage in this type of work. I'm desperately trying to get some passion flower seeds to sprout. Um, <laughs> they're challenging, but I do think that something about going from like seed to growing, to harvesting, to working with the plant, to me feels like the perfect kind of way to use like one plant to sort of shift your storytelling about yourself. Um, so passion flower, I think is just such a good candidate. Also, it's a dope tea. It's so pretty. Like passion flowers are pretty. I would, I would also just say that like the aroma of passion flower is one of my favorite. If you can just, I, they're, they're oh, not yeah. so, they're not so strong, you know, but if you yeah. really get in there, it's nice. There's nice things going on. There but are. I would also say like what you were saying about empathy circling back around on you. And like, yeah. I don't know, I I sort of relate this to my experience with psychedelics more than anything, but like when I did sort of have an empathy breakthrough in my life, because you remember, you know me from school, like, yeah, I was very, very, very much like in my own head more so until like like, I didn't relate with people so well, as well as I do now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, that trauma response happens for so many people, right? It's like you go through 
difficult situations and one of I think empathy shutdown is something that in my experience with people I know seems like not uncommon and it's like not that people are trying to be cruel but it's like you just have to like completely shut that down to protect yourself like right and so when it comes and and when that feeling comes back it really does you know you're like if you can love other people you can love yourself it doesn't always have to be you know what I mean it's like Oh, I hate this idea that like, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love someone else? It's like, okay, well, maybe for some people, but for others, like starting by really deeply loving other people, sometimes that does come back. And I think that it's all circular. And that's the thing about empathy is it's not one way. It's like empathy inherently is a two-way thing because it's like you understanding and and some sense, in some situations, even like, on a lesser level feeling the feelings of other people, you know, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes, like empathy requires eventually, I think a level of self-acceptance because there's only so long that you can like really care about other people before you're like, Oh shit, wait, wait but I'm, I'm also a, a people, but I'm a person too. <laughs> Me, I'm a people. But I think that working with passion flower and like a low dosage, like extended amount of time, is great for something like this because you also like yeah there are situations where intensive shifts are important and like maybe I did an outpatient program in college I get it like sometimes you need a hard reset but also if you're an adult and you have a day job and you can't take six months to go work your shit out sometimes low and slow is like it's manageable it's little breakthroughs that you can like slowly be working on as opposed to like we're gonna break it all down right now and rebuild it not everyone has time for that so I think passion flower is a great one I also one that really like quickly came to mind for me was motherwort so motherwort is like a heart opening herb right but it's also good for mother wounds and I think that mother wounds I think are something that uh, a lot of people know about a lot of people have experienced um, and even like actual mothers can have mother wound issues right so I think that motherwort is such an exceptional plant to think about working with long term um, number one it's great for your cardiovascular health and if you live in the United States of America uh, heart problems are the number one killer of women. Uh, they're like literally more than any kind of cancer, heart heart attack and like heart failure. Well, you um, know, I, what, what I've always heard is that the way that women feel pain is so different from the way that men feel pain that so that when they're having a heart attack, they just think they're having like a really bad stomach ache or something. Oh, or yeah. they're like, they're like, there's no way I'm, there's no way I'm having a heart attack right now. Like, I feel fine. Yeah. And there's that whole thing too, where it's like, um, sure, you're definitely not having a heart attack because women's pain, it's not as intense. There's no reason that a woman would be actually hurting that bad. Cause it's, it's that weird thing in medicine where they like, like women's pain is oh, like, over. like what the doc, what the doctors think too. Yeah. They're like, oh, women are just like overreacting. I'm like, dude, like 
people that have wombs can create humans and push them out of their bodies. Why are you just assuming that women all have low pain tolerances? Like, it's just not logical. No, no, no. Yeah, it's crazy because it's like, yeah, it's underreported or not underreported. They're like, you go into the coroner, they say you've had a heart attack. But no, I've, I've read that as well, that like women don't go to the doctor when they're having a heart attack because they're just like, oh, it's probably nothing. Yeah, it's like, it's it's definitely something, um, but okay. So <laughs> um, something that I think that mother wart is also good for though is like, again, it's like that idea of the mother wound. So, so many of us have mommy issues. I'm like raising my hand. Uh, hi, it's me. My mommy issues know no better. Although I will say, speaking of raising your hand, is the camera off? Yeah, my camera failed. I don't know what happened. So, okay. yeah, I've been like trying to figure it out. I can't. Um, <laughs> no, it just I said, I, camera failed. But no, they talk about that with red bud too. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so the mother wound, right? So something that I know for my personal healing journey that has been really important is working through that mother wound, right? Like I realized that holding on to anger at my mother and like not letting things go and just letting Christy get me all worked up all the time, like that wasn't serving me anymore. Regardless of whether or not you feel like your mother deserves forgiveness or whatever, it's not about them, right? Like this is about you. So I actually do take mother wart every day. It's also really good for your anxiety, but it tastes horrible. Just like fair warning, tincture it. It's so bitter. It's so, 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 so bitter. Much like dealing with a mother wound can be. So uh, definitely tincture it up. Um, Another great one though is uh, Tulsi. So everyone, everyone knows I've talked about Tulsi before. I love like holy basil. I think that it is one of the best plants of all time. It's like literally, it's something that I think comes up constantly in the herbalism world. Like my favorite quote that I saw about it, and I'm going to like pull it up because this made me laugh because they're like, if you're an herbalist and you're worried about prescribing someone like the wrong thing prescribe them a cup of Tulsi tea and a hundred percent of the time you'll be right so it's like a really great plant because it's it's kind of like non-specific for wellness right so it's like a nervous system aid but it doesn't have really intensive side effects which I think is also something good for this kind of like work with a simple, right? Um, again, avoid Tulsi during pregnancy or if you're trying to conceive, but it's it's like really incredible in a chai tea and we all know how much we love a chai. So oh, don't, if- Oh, don't we? We do. So I think that this idea of like, basically there's this theory of like narrative medicine, right? So within narrative medicine, it's like, again, thinking about the stories that we tell, Tulsi can help kind of pave the way for open attention, right? Like helping you be curious, 
helping you be, um, you know, have some humility, but it's really about like the open attention here, because something that I think can happen, especially if you get caught in these negative thought patterns, is that it gets really hard for you to, to open up to any other op options, right? Like when you get in, when I, I know for me personally, when I get into an anxiety spiral, there are no alternatives to the story that I have in my head about how everything's falling apart, right? Like, I feel like that's pretty common. You get very one-tracked. So I think that Tulsi is helpful because it's like, number one, it helps, it's like a road opener, but it also helps with like discernment between yourself and other people. So it's good at boundaries. It's, it's a strong candidate, I think, for this type of work. Um, it is a ruler of like your heart, but also your brain. So again, like the brain, it's nourishing for that. It stimulates your cerebral area, which can help like kind of titrate down anxiety, but also help with like focus memory, very important. Um, but again, that heart health, you guys know, I like love a heart health herb, very important. Um, so I think that it's, it's a good herb for all reasons. I think Tulsi is like an excellent candidate. Um, I would also say chamomile, like chamomile is such a good plant to work with regularly. It's another one of those that's kind of like an all purpose plant where it's like, but, but you, you have, what I would say is that chamomile exudes the energy of comfort. It does. And it's one that I think for most people is also pretty easy to grow. Like chamomile is actually like not an overly complicated plant to grow. I'll also say Tulsi isn't either. If you haven't tried it, get some, get yourself some seeds because I had Tulsi accidentally kind of take over one of my garden boxes last year for a bit. It'll do that. But I, I think chamomile is a great one because number one, it's got that like that caregiver energy it definitely is a plant that has that nurturing sense. Something that I also love about chamomile. Okay, wait, 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 hold on. Um, do you see the little yellow flowers on my bedspread? Oh yeah, you've got little chamomile. Love her. I love that, her. That, that does look like chamomile, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it does. Because it's got that like the feathery, almost carroty looking like leaves. Yeah, I, I. I, I love this print. It's good. I'm buying so, I'm buying everything in crazy like floral prints right now. Um, as you should. Florals for springtime. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so chamomile, it's like that beautiful nurturing energy. It's easy to grow for most people, relatively speaking. But the thing that I, I also love about chamomile is you can make it in teas, but it's also so good for topical applications. And I use chamomile infused oils in my daily body oils because it is really soothing if you have allergies and eczema. I also can't recommend like body oiling enough. And so I think that, you know, working with something like chamomile, I do take a chamomile tincture every day. It's like I do chamomile, motherwort, and uh, go-to cola tinctures in my morning coffee. But the chamomile on the body, I think, also has that kind of like that solar energizing, like kind of healing, especially for your like solar plexus area, thinking about your heart chakra, again, going back to openings. Um, and in particular, I think everyone, men, women, 
every variation thereof, like could be doing more breast massage. Chamomile oil is great for that because lymphatic stagnant, like having stagnant lymphatic fluids in your chest is not uh, good if you're trying to prevent things like breast cancer and breast cancer doesn't just affect people born with uteruses. So body oiling helps with lymphatic drainage. What an act of self-love, but then you add in that chamomile in there and you're getting all of that like skin nourishing, bringing in the beautiful like heart chakra opening, solar plexus, like warming energy. Like think about the last time you drank a good cup of chamomile tea. For for me, I feel it right in my heart. It's like, I just always feel it in my chest. It's so good. And I was a sleepy time tea kid. Oh, and I then, mean, that bear knows what's up. That bear knows, that bear knows what the fuck's up. I am this close to buying a full length, like old timey dressing gown. Okay. But if you do it, you have to get a hat. You have to get. No, the they come hat. with hats. Shannon, they come with hats. Oh my God. I support this. Yeah. You think I haven't already like sourced that that exact you're, outfit you're turning into the sleepy time tea bear and i am they here come for it. with hats they come <laughs> with hats that's everything that's everything um, and it's okay, not just well, one brand or another either all of them when you buy all right everyone out there they you should know this when you buy a full length sleep shirt like that it comes with the pointy hat i love it <laughs> i love it well, the last the last like herb I'm just going to mention today and then I'll turn it over to Nick because I feel like we could talk about doing simples with individual herbs for like ways to shift your narratives. Um, but the last one is just like really personal talking about going through grief and loss. And for me, that is mugwort. Now, I've talked about mugwort. Y'all know you shouldn't be taking mugwort internally for ex extended periods of time, but you can apply it topically. So I think mugwort is a great candidate to work with in body oiling. Um, I also made a body spray using like some infused oil with mugwort. And then I added it to moon water and then a few drops of like clary sage oil, shake, shake, shake. Beautiful. You can spray your space with it. You can spray yourself with it. But mugwort, I think, is just one of those plants that's so good for like moving through grief, um, loss. You know, and I think that that's a time when narrative shifting is necessary, right? Because the story inherently changes. And so you have this time where things are a little bit less solidified. You know, it's like parts of your story suddenly have to be rewritten. And so I think that the grieving process on the other end of it, it's like you go through this like dark underground sort of tough place but then on the other side of that is like you you have to rewrite things and I think that mugwort is good at helping you get through the depths of it and then you can work with something like a chamomile or a calendula as you're like coming up onto the other side of it but you can't get to the other side without going through the deep dark scaries and I think mugwort and like working with Hecate and Persephone we'll talk about some of the underworld stuff later um but yeah, mugwort, I think, is is just such a good plant ally for times of grief and times of loss. And when you're trying to navigate really difficult crossroads in your life. So that's that segment. I'm going to like call it here because, I again, I could talk about this all night. I love plants. Well, I have really good news for you. We're going to talk that, about plants? 
is that and that's what that, that we're gonna keep talking about plans i'm so, here for it incredible no because you know what i just i wanted to just talk about wildflowers this week so i have kind of a kooky segment um i don't really know what category this segment falls under um but we're th- what we're running with this week is wildflower magic and I guess specifically Texas wildflower magic, because uh, guess what? That's where You're I in live. Texas. Also, and like the wildflowers of the Southwest are some of the dopest wildflowers. Fight me. I live in California and I'm telling you, wildflowers of the Southwest are lit. But also the good news here is that Shannon is actually from here. So she's going to remember, she's going to know these babies. She's going to remember them. Um, so I shit you not at the time of this recording, which is the 21st of February. Okay. I have seen early blooms of both blue bonnets and mountain laurels, which I mentioned up top. So, um, I thought maybe as sort of a more cohesive coverage of the Instagram reels that I alluded to from last year, I thought I would just kind of talk about Texas wildflowers because it's something that's really special to me. It's my favorite time of year. Um, Sometimes it happens around my birthday, but it's starting early this year. So um, not so much, but they're here. And I always take that as my first, like it's spring, right? And I've rearranged my apartment. Shannon, you can confirm. Oh, I can. And it's good. Good things are happening, but that's also like my version of spring cleaning is buying new stuff for the apartment uh rearranging everything and then you clean under where the couch used to be and that's your spring cleaning right yeah anyway so um it's springtime it's wildflower season it's starting i've already scoped out oh i've already scoped out all my my little guys there's one red bud in the neighborhood that's already starting to bloom but everything's about to happen so anyway (laughs) Wanted to talk about maybe some of the mythology and like some of the magical connotations around the Texas wildflowers, um, a little bit of folklore even, right? And I do want to start by doing a correction because I announced very boldly that the buttercups on the side of the road were ranunculaceae buttercups, but the ones that grow here are actually a species of evening primrose or Onothera is my second guess. I'm, you know what? I think that however you want to say it, because guess what? No one alive, no one's alive that speaks Latin anymore. Anyway, so these (laughs) little guys are like usually like the the little pink guys, buttercups. Sometimes they're yellow. Maybe there will be a really pale one, but they're usually mostly pink, right? Yeah. The little the little buttercups and I've always called them buttercups and when I looked up what the Latin name for buttercups was it was ranunculaceae but they're they're not buttercups the the ones that grow in the ones that grow in Texas that, that you always see and you call you call them buttercups and they're um they're evening primrose so um <clears throat> which is also cool they're really evening pretty little guys it's dope but did you know they open in the morning in the south and they do um open in the evening in the north that's really cool. So they, they're called evening primrose, but they're like kind of like daytime primrose here. So it's a lie. Right. <laughs> but they're but they're not tr- 
true primrose, which is like the European primrose, which is primula, which looks, can I just say, so similar. But no, no, no. It's We're talking about evening primroses, even though they're open during the day. All right? Is that clear? Is that clear to everyone? I'm like, this, this is like when we started talking about cedar and how cedar isn't cedar in North America. It's juniper. I'm like, right. nothing is what you call it. Right, right, right. But that's but, okay. But evening primrose is good for uh, certain ladies' complaints and um, even during labor, traditionally. Yeah. Yeah, it's good for the um, womb. It's good for the womb, right? So these little guys are out here blowing around in the wind. Actually, when you walk through a field of them, though, don't you kind of feel like, you know, that scene in Howell's Moving Castle where the, he, like, takes her out to, like, the big field of flowers? Yes. I also just have to say, I saw Eric showed me this meme about Howl's Moving Castle last night that was, like, dudes will literally live in a moving house that grows legs and turn into a bird to avoid going to therapy, and it made me cackle. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Um, <laughs> but so Evening Primrose does have these, like, ladies' associations, like, birth, right? And... Um, I think the link between, like, birth and spring is, like, pretty obvious, right? Yeah, we um, know her. We know her. It's, like, a good thematic basis for using them magically. And, like, you know, they're out there. There's just hundreds and hundreds of them. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about, you've got to be careful by the road. you got to be careful with the dogs pee. But, like, those evening primroses, and there are lots and lots of them, are just everywhere. You can find them if you live in Texas. <clears throat> so, you know, um, and they say you could just put them in a bath. You could just put those, put them in a bath for God, like self. You're going to feel like fucking Aphrodite in a bath full of floating primrose. Yeah, because they're so pretty. And I like literally never, never thought of doing that. Like never, because I buttercups you know i always call them buttercups but i never thought about doing that with those flowers which are so they proliferate so well um but um some folklore around uh evening primrose out of scotland where they're sometimes referred to as fairy cups oh that's cute and i do have a show and tell for this one because actually one of the things that i thought would be really cool to use like a, a little meadow of these flowers for is to have a little fairy tea party and i've actually brought with me oh i love show, it for show and tell tiny little teacups y'all they're like they're so small just a little hold on a little guy just a little he's so tiny so i don't know i want to do i want to do something with those i don't even remember where i bought these but they're, they're they're not even big enough to use as a shot glass. They're just tiny, tiny, tiny little teacups. Um, and I want to set up a little fairy tea party out in the little evening primrose meadow, right? I mean, that sounds like you've got to do that. Or, oh my God, in an evening prim primrose meadow or by your magical fucking... Uh... Oh my god, why am I blinking on the word? The for this? spring, the spring. Your spring, yeah. But I need to, but like as a little offering to the little fae, because you know, I if you were a fae, you'd be in a field of wildflowers. I shit you oh, not. Fuck yeah. I shit you not. Um <laughs> they also say in Scotland that if you eat 
an evening primrose, um, you can see fairies. Okay, that sounds terrifying, but cool. Terrifying, but cool. But I want to make a little tea party, and I want to harvest some, and I want to definitely do a bath with it. And then I'm going to leave the little teacups. I'm just going to leave the little teacups as offerings. Um, and maybe I'll make tiny little cookies. You should. Should shouldn't I make tiny little cookies to go with the little teacups? Yes. Anyway, um, but also offering evening primrose like protects your house and your barn from fairies. Just um, those, just okay. those two things. So, like, if you have it out and a garland. Which I, I can only imagine a garland of evening primrose kind of looking like a, a loose lay. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you would get at a luau. Um, and that, that, that would be quite nice looking. Be, uh, visually appealing, I feel. Nice little pink color, little garland of evening primrose over your door or something. Because, uh, you know, the tricky fairies. I guess yeah, the tricky they, fairies. They be tricksy. They be tricksy. Um, but also, I think Evening Primrose and Buttercup and all of those flowers that look like that, that's what a fairy would wear as clothes, right? Like, oh, hundo pee. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I've thought about it. And that's what I think. Like, if we're talking about like little fairies, that's what yeah. they would wear as clothes. I'm like, I'm sorry to everyone who thinks otherwise. Um, but yeah, it, so apparently bathing in them, though, which is why you, you need to make a little offering, a little tea party for the fairies um, to get some, uh, is that bathing in them will make you more desirable as both a lover and a friend. So okay, I feel like that tracks like very Venusian vibes, right? Oh, yeah. Big Venus vibes. Um, and of course, yeah, all of that is like the European primrose, which is not the like... Uh, Mexican pink evening primrose that we have here, but it's you know they're all they all look the same. Yeah, and yeah. they all and they're all like the first flowers out in spring. They're like very very similar, similar looking species. So, I you know I say in in that in that case it's almost just like go with the Scottish version because it seems it, it's a nice version of um you know sort of what the magical qualities of those wildflowers would be, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then we're gonna move on to the star of this segment, which is the blue bonnets, because there's already early blue bonnets, just like, and you know, just geographically speaking, like going towards the domain from where I'm at. I don't know if it's like the heat of the roads or whatever, but like there's definitely like a solid patch of blue bonnets already out there. Can we just talk about like the deep rooted fear that children growing up in Texas had about picking blue bonnets? Yeah, you know, it's not and going against straight the law. to jail. It's not against the law. It's against the law to like go in someone's yard, which is their private property, to pick them or whatever. Um, yeah, but I've never known anyone that grew up in Texas that wasn't at one point petrified that they were going to go to jail for picking a blue bonnet. Or accidentally stepping on one, even. Yeah. Yeah. They put the fear of fucking God into us about these flowers, people. Um, I d but here's what I think. Blue bonnets get a bad rap magically, right? Because they're everywhere. And it's like, 
the way they grow is magical as fuck. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I don't know, maybe Texas just doesn't give off witchy enough vibes for like witch people in witchcraft spaces to care about Texas in that way. But like, you know, like you can see the Milky Way in West Texas and Oh yeah, like... I mean, like Marfa, we were straight up looking at I saw Mars. I could see it. There's like and there's like swamps in East Texas. That's a pretty witchy vibe. Like Oh fuck yeah. You know, and like everything in between. I mean, there's a hummingbird waterfall here. That's pretty magical. So whatever. Um, but you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people like working around like the uses and associations of blue bonnets for magical purposes. Yeah, and I do think it's like you could definitely just get into lupins in general, but like, yeah, I think it's like blue bonnets are such a specific type of lupin flower. It deserves right. its own work. It does. It, so there is a really cool Comanche story about blue bonnets, um, and I think that's like a good jumping off point. And I do remember hearing this story as a kid. There is a children's book based on this story. Um, Texas loves to like teach kids about stuff like Texas. So, um, but there is a Comanche story about the blue bonnets. And the story goes that there was a terrible drought and people were starving to death all over the lands, right? And naturally people turned to the shaman for the answers. And so he went up a mountain to commune with the great spirit. And the great spirit said that the people had become too greedy. And even though that they, they had had plenty, they didn't make good offerings or like share with their, you know, needy neighbors. Um, and so it was decided that in order to restore balance, they must make and burn an offering so valuable that equilibrium could be restored and that honor would in fact be satisfied. So these people, you understand, they've been living through a drought, right? They've lost loved ones. They've watched their livestock succumb to illness. And like, what more can they give up? And they're like wondering, they're questioning. And nobody really wants to give up anything more than they already have given up. Um, and so they just like continued to starve, right? Like and, people do. Like people do. And um, luck has it though that uh, a, the answer to saving the community was an orphan girl who is called She Who Is Alone. And you know, like maybe the whole thing is that she needed the community to thrive because she lost her parents to the famine, right? Um, and she only has one possession in the entire world, which is a doll, which is made by her mother before she succumbed to the hunger. And it was like really, really beautiful. And it had like real horsehair braids and like a real ceremonial outfit in like doll size. And it was the only thing in the entire world that gave she who was alone. That's a that's a Mitski album. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a Mitski album. <laughs> uh, but it's the only thing that comforted her at all. So she's like, okay, I'm gonna burn my 
only possession in the world so that everyone else can be okay and like maybe if everyone else is okay I'll be okay and she does it and she remembers that the whole thing when you make a burn offering is that you scatter it to the four directions you know north south east and west um and then she does it and and then the drought breaks and you know just like magic and where the ashes got blown to the four corners that's where the blue bonnets grew um so pretty and you know it's like this hopeful symbol that spring is finally here and the hard times are over and like the people are gonna prosper again but it's also this kind of reminder that everything exists in balance and that you have to give to receive so i feel like it's very saturnian yeah and it is like i think that like lupines in general it's like there's a lot of that um that kind of like giving energy around it which i do like because they're they're the type of flowers that once they start coming up Mm -hmm. they're everywhere um and i i also feel like just you know kind of going into like the nature of the plant lending itself very well to the symbolism it's like the harder the winter the stronger the root structure of the blue bonnet skins and so you'll have a better bloom after a harsh winter oh i love that uh, so you do get like super blooms after bleak winters which is maybe why we're having such an early pop this year like they're ju- they're coming I they're love coming that. Um, which brings us to like a similar looking flower. I think as kids, you always think they're like the red and blue version of each other, but it's, um, prairie fire, AKA Indian paintbrush. Which are beautiful and have delicious little honeysuckle, like nectar pods in them. And, you know, it's like, they do kind of bloom around Aries season. They're one of my favorite flowers. You, yes, you can eat the little honeysuckles from them. Um, I did learn that they grow only in conjunction with other plants, which is why you always see them in like the big beds of wildflowers mixed in. Because they're par- they're partially parasitic <laughs> in, in nature, meaning that they they get some of their roots grow into the other roots and then just like suck up those nutrients instead of what's in the soil. Yeah, I think they're like, I have to look it up. I was like, what is the, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna say that the, the higher classification of them, it, it literally, it's broom rapes is what it looks like. And I'm sure there's a Latin pronunciation for it, but it's broom rapes. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like the, the, um, it's like the higher classification that Indian paintbrush or like prairie fire is in. And they're all like parasitic plants. But, okay, so, you know, they call it Indian paintbrush, which, you know, there's, like, is there a debate around whether or not that's, like, cultural appropriation or not to call it that anymore? I don't, I don't really know. I don't think it's, like, the most offensive thing anyone's ever said. It's a, it's a flower, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those where it's, like, it's hard to know where things started and yeah but i do think that it's like but 
prairie fire so the, is easy. Prairie fire is easy. But then I then I found this Blackfoot legend, which comes from the the Blackfoot Indian tribe, which is apparently it's kind of grim, right? So there's a Blackfoot girl who's charged with taking care of a prisoner. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the thing on the plains was this kind of tribal warfare. They would take prisoners and trade prisoners. You know, it was all about really sort of grazing rights, right? Um, anyway, so she's taking care of this prisoner and obviously falls in love with him, as one does when you're like, I don't know, patting their forehead with a with a damp cloth and doing whatever it is you do with a with a prisoner. Right? I guess that's more of a hospital thing. What do you I mean, she was taking she's basically taking care of a prisoner, but then it turns out they're gonna execute him, right? Like they're not gonna trade him. They're gonna execute him, but she's already in love with him. So she decides she's gonna run away with him, right? Yeah. And you know, like one last, you know, she sneaks away and they're kind of like off on their own, but they're like, you know, kind of deciding where to go. Whatever, right? And she goes back to like her village just for one last time, just to, you know, just to see her home. I mean, she's made this decision to leave with this man, right? The dick was that good. That's some magic dick. But in order to remember her home, she like carves a gash in her own leg and decides to paint with her own blood and the most nearby plant that she can find, like a a painting of the village she came from so she could always remember her home even even as she's like leaving it forever just because there was some hot guy <laughs> i mean yeah so 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 and then now it's red because it's soaked in her blood romantic it's a ooh. it's kind of weird because it's like she doesn't do it for the guy like she does it for her town that she's from she's like she doesn't want to forget her home that she's leaving because of the magic dick that she's leaving because of the magic dick in a way it's almost like it's good to like leave home right but don't forget where you come from is kind of the message yeah. there right unless it's granberry in which case light it on fire <laughs> <laughs> um but no i think that's that's an interesting message and not really a message that you get a lot in mythology yeah if, any, it's if not. anything you hit you hear a lot about how it's unsafe to leave home or like you know but she's just leaving because the dick is good i mean look when the dick is good the dick is good but i do love that it's like red and it's like aries season red and you know yeah, I mean, of course you love that. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you leave home for good dig. I mean, whatever gets you out of the house, honestly. Yeah, look, if you're from a small place, sometimes sometimes the dick is what gets you out. But um I but I do but it, yeah, I love like the weird messaging of that um that myth. I'm still I'm still not entirely sure what message we're supposed to take from that myth. <laughs> it kind of seems like one of those paintings that looks different from different angles. Right. <laughs> it's like a magic painting. If you squint and back up, it starts looking a little different. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but that's the, but that's the story of the Indian paintbrush. So beautiful. Um, but then, okay, I do have one more Texas wildflower I want to talk about, which is mountain laurel. And I'm actually pretty excited for this one. So mountain laurel is blooming right now. Um, we all and know it. We all. Girl. Um, it's like a little shrubby tree. The leaves look like regular laurels. So like if you want to cosplay as Julius Caesar, you absolutely can. Just do not leave the leaves or flowers around your cat. Nope. Or dog or horse even. Um, because uh, every part of the plant is poisonous. Um, the chemical in it is similar to nicotine. Mm. But um, so some Native Americans used to uh, take it to hallucinate, but also there's enough poison in a single Texas mountain laurel seed to kill an adult person. So, so maybe don't. So maybe don't. <laughs> but but it does have the crazy bright red seeds, which are um, you know supposed to be traditionally linked to like speaking truth to power and um being convincing so like to this day you know like certain groups of native americans will if you have a court date you know you pop a seed in your mouth so that you can make a convincing uh case for yourself just don't swallow just don't swallow yeah um but also and I found so much of it too. It's like people make jewelry out of it because it's supposed to have this really like, it's supposed to be good. For instance, if you are like promoted at work, like the ceremony around it, and I am not, and disclaimer, I am not encouraging anyone to like go out and buy mountain laurel seed jewelry, but it's supposed to be like positive energy for life changes too. All right, so, all right. So like, so, like, traditionally, you know, it's, like, if you became a parent, if, you know, you got, you know, the version of a promotion, right? Like, a, a new phase of life, you wear a necklace made out of them. It's supposed to be really good for, um, you know, kind of new, new energy. But they, the, I mean, it is also just, like, a beautiful item to work with because they're bright, bright, bright red, the seeds of them. Yeah, they're um, really pretty, y'all. Give them a Google. But also, it is, like, rooted in honesty. So something that I thought was so interesting about the lore around the mountain laurel beans was that it's all about honesty. So, you know, if you feel like someone might be lying to you and you're comfortable, you know, using an item that does contain poison, which, again, don't have poison out around your cats or whatever... If you feel like someone's not being honest with you, you know, you could definitely incorporate Texas Mountain Laurel Seeds into a working. I um, like that. I do like that. Or if you're wanting to get someone to shut their lying mouth, you could put it in a freezer spell. I I like that idea as well. I like that. I, I feel like um, in a cord cutting Ooh. With with someone that's been dishonest. I love it. I mean, because, you know, the flowers, I think, are very, how do I say? It's like, it's appropriate that mountain laurel 
blooms during Pisces season because it's like the the, the idea of like floating away on a fragrance uh, is very similar to this idea we associate with Pisceans, which is disassociation, right? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But like, Except you know, I do. like, I do. but like floating away into the scent of a mountain laurel, I think gets me close to disassociation. And it's like for a second, like I know what a Pisces is feeling. <laughs> I love it. Um, and so that's that's kind of my take on on Mountain Laurel. I do feel I do feel very Venusian vibes from it as well. I, you know, I just I just think she's friendly, even though she could kill you. Yeah, I mean, which also have you I met think, a Libra? <laughs> but also, I I think that applies to Pisces as well. So I think you know that's true. That's true. Friendly, wow. but friendly, but could kill you. Could. Will they? Who knows? If they did, like, if they did and they had a good enough reason, I don't think they'd feel bad about it. And I don't think you could even be mad. Because it would have to be a good reason. It would have to be a good reason. Yeah, like, no doubt, no doubt. But, like, if they did it, they wouldn't even feel bad about it. No. 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 All right. Well, so what? <laughs> so, this- so <laughs> we the weird segue from uh, Pisces people killing people to the geography of the underworld. The geography of the underworld, which we're going to talk about the importance of waterways in the underworld. Speaking of Pisces, so um, I do love the Greek underworld. I think it's probably one of my favorite afterlife depictions of like any mythology. So I think we have to remember that Hades, the place, it's also considered like, yeah, it's the afterlife, but it's also one of the three realms that makes up the entirety of the cosmos, right? So it's it's not just like a one and done location, though. There's layers. But the most important landmarks in Hades are the the waterways, right? So in the Iliad, the ghost of Patroclus is talking all about like the gates and a river and in Odyssey, Odysseus's mother, her ghost says that Hades is home to many great rivers and appalling streams. And I would love to meet an appalling stream. I actually am so tickled by the the phrasing appalling stream. <laughs> I'm like, I love it. Um, of course, though, if we're going to talk about waterways and why Pisces is probably sending a lot of people to the underworld, um, number one, the sticks, right? The river sticks. Um, it's actually the only one mentioned by name in the Iliad, but it's not like just a river, like a lot of the waterways in Hades. Like, Styx is also a goddess in her own right. So she's the daughter of Oceanus and Tethys. And one of the things that I love about the sticks is like, yeah, in later stories, whatever, it's the waterway that Charon uh, rose across to bring the dead into the underworld. But gods also swear oaths on the sticks, which I think is really, really powerful. Um, so she's a bad bitch. I do not like that it is sometimes referred to as the river of hatred. I hate that. We're not going there. Um, So that's the river sticks is kind of like the big like headliner name. But next up we have the Acheron. It's the river associated with 
misery and woe and historically it's also associated with like necromantic rituals necromancy i also have a sneaking suspicion though that acheron is where sarah j mass got the name archeron for the three main sisters because misery and woe is their backstory and i have not googled it but that's my guess and i refuse to be wrong so where's you know what we're just we're just a couple of real girls on this podcast and we are you know i think i think that's what makes us so good and so relatable <laughs> uh, so next up we have the phlegathon so this one it's the fire that, river i hate i hate phleg <laughs> no the phlegathon so um metal as fuck it is mentioned in the odyssey and then we just like don't hear anything else in history about the phlegathon until like plato shows up so um they don't like to talk about it but it is a fire river and according to plato it's the river that leads to tartarus aka torture central which does feel like that's where a fire river would let out that's where it would Um, go yeah yeah, there's also the River of Wailing, which is Cacaitis, which it's a branch of the Styx that also flows into the Acheron. So it's like off of the Styx, you have this Wailing River that flows into a river of misery and woe. The Acheron is sometimes a lake, but whatever. I like to think of it as like a weird, crazy, lazy river situation in Hades. I, I think it's I think it's a swamp. Oh, okay. I like our our various interpretations of the underworld. Um, my personal favorite though, it's the Lethe, right? So the river of forgetfulness. Um, the name is also shared with the goddess Lethe, who's the goddess of oblivion, which I love that. If I was going to be a goddess, I'd want to be the goddess of oblivion. So um, water from the Lethe though, that's what souls who are going to reincarnate drink to kind of like give them a clean slate, right? And I, I do love that later on in history, um, a, a poplar dripping water that's supposed to be from the Lethe is like a symbol for hypnos. So, you know, that's kind of dope. Um, and then finally we have Oceanus. So that's the river that circles the entire underworld. And it's like the border between the land of the living and Hades. But I think that that's Oceanus kind of seems a little womp womp until we get to its importance with Elysium later. So put a pin in that. But how do people get into the underworld? So, you know, I think there's a couple of ways. Obviously, there's the psychopomps, right? Like Hermes is a psychopomp. He can take souls into the underworld. He can travel between realms. Hermes is like, I think an unsung hero of Greek mythology because like he's actually in everyone's business. Well, no, it's funny. If you know, if you were gonna figure out exactly what was going on with everyone without having to ask everyone, you would ask Hermes for sure. Yeah. Hermes knows what's up. Hermes has the tea. If I were to Kiki with one god, it'd be Hermes. You know it. So something that we know though right like the greeks were super obsessed with proper burial practices so it's like we talked about the ghost of patroclus earlier right um why is patroclus a ghost and not in the underworld because he wasn't buried appropriately so you know that's kind of a sticking point um 
the underworld's real big on gates. Security is very important to them. But if you are not buried properly, you can kind of get stuck in limbo. But if you are, you know, you can kind of just like pop into the underworld and then Karen has to take you across the river. And then you kind of are like fully in once Karen brings you in. But again, like you have to be buried appropriately or have a psychopomp escort you. So you best be hoping that either you're tight with Hermes or your family does good by you. <laughs> Um, so then you get into the underworld, right? Either Hermes brought you because you're besties or your family buried you appropriately and Karen has taken you across the river Styx. So what's next? The sorting hat. And um, where does judgment take place? Tartarus, which is um, basically hell. So it's it's kind of interesting to me that like the place where divine retribution is dealed out is like also where all judgment takes place. So well, you best it, come correct. You know, I I think it's funny because just imagine like the most pious person you know, like someone who's actually a good person for the right reasons. Now, I know who I'm thinking of, but they still have to see the river of fire so yeah. they know what they missed out on. They've got to hear the titans screaming in the distance. Right. Like as they're being told, you're a good guy. Like you're good. You're getting you get to go to the fun one. But I, I think it's also interesting that of all the areas in Hades, Tartarus is one of the only ones that's like like Tartarus is also a primordial deity. So it's like there's night, time, earth, and Tartarus are like primordial beings. So Tartarus goes hard. Um, again, famously, this is where the Titans were thrown after the Olympians overthrew them. So you've got your nice, like, pious little, like, good people walking in and you just hear these, like, epic monsters screaming, being tortured for all time in the background. Um, but if you aren't a monster, you'll end up either in Asphodel Meadows or in um, Elysium. So Asphodel Meadows is basically where everyday people end up. I hate that it's like referred to as um, a place for mediocre souls, quote unquote. But to me, it's like, it's uncool, but it's also like, that's some military propaganda bullshit right there. Like, mm -hmm. if you're mediocre, you're going to go hang out. Um, if you're just a guy who... If you're just some dude. Some if, dude. What? But like, basically... If you're not like the hero of an epic, you're you're going to end up in Asphodel. But there's also a lot of sources that talk about um, this is the place where souls go who will reincarnate like after they drink from the river Lethe. So Asphodel Meadows sometimes is seen as like sort of a waypoint between like getting your slate wiped clean. Then your, your soul basically goes and like you have your eye of the tiger moment getting prepped to reincarnate. And then the, the pre-womb lounge, as we famously call it. <laughs> the pre-womb lounge. Um, 100% Asphodel Meadows is the pre-womb lounge, which is where Nick and I met, as it, everyone knows. As everyone uh, knows, because we decided we were going to be friends. And in then... The, in the pre-womb lounge, we decided. And then we were like, meet you down there? Yeah. Um, oh my God, that takes me right back to middle school. Um <laughs> So I, I do love this idea, though, that like basically in this setup, though, you kind of just like keep reincarnating until you do something so epic, you either end up in Tartarus or in Elysium. And 
I mean, that's also not a bad way to think about the afterlife. It's like you keep going till you're either really good or really evil. Um, who knows which? So finally, we're, you go into like Elysium, right? Elysium, the Elysian fields. That's where heroes go to have like a good chill time for eternity. So it's supposed to be a land of like perfect happiness at the end of the earth. Um, in some writings, it's actually like not in Hades proper, but it's almost always universally on the banks of Oceanus, regardless whether or not it's on like the Hades side or the earth side. So Nick, I just wanted to end by letting you know that heaven has a waterfront view. Now that is what I like to hear, goddammit. I just wanted to end this like meandering episode with some good news because you deserve it. Does that that has to mean that there are rooftop pool parties in um heaven. you fucking know it i love the idea of going to a rooftop fucking pool party on the like on the shores of oceanus and just like looking out and just seeing the phlegathon and like you can kind of see tartarus over in the distance and you're just like, yeah, but we're getting crunk over here. Yeah, we're getting crunk over here. We are at the rooftop pool party. Can I just say, um, anything could happen at a rooftop pool party and it would be fun. Yeah. I fully believe someone could get out Scrabble and I would play it and enjoy myself. Oh, big same. But I would just always play Scrabble and enjoy myself because I'm a nerd. <laughs> Um, okay, so I guess it's time for the Terrascope. Woo! And actually, it's for Gemini. So I got a really good card for Gemini, but I was kind of shuffling the cards while we were recording, so uh, I don't have one to show y'all, but I don't think we're going to show this episode anyway because cam uh, Shannon's camera fucked up. Um, yeah, it died. It stopped working. So we're here, and we got the Empress for Gemini. I love that. And it's like, that's such good energy for y'all. You're in your bag. You are making the most of it. You are, you know, everything's coming up roses. Um, literally, figuratively. Um, you know, it's, uh, with the Empress though, you know, it's like things are going really well for you, but it's, I think, always good to just like appreciate what you have while you have it. Hmm. Excellent message. So, enjoy it. Enjoy your Empress moment. Enjoy your Empress moment. Like, take the time to cherish that, truly. So, um, you know, stop and smell the flowers, so to speak. Stop and smell the evening primroses. First thing in the morning. Truly, truly. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, you know, and one more time for the tiny little teacup. Woo, tiny teacup. We'll have to like post a picture since we can't like post the video. I mean, I guess we could, but it would really just be like an S popping up when I talk and then Nick. Yeah, so. but, but there is a tiny little teacup. But there involved. is a tiny teacup. So we're going to do something with those. Okay. Nick, can you believe this is episode 115? Yeah, it's, it's insane. Um, happy 115th birthday to ones and friends. Mm, from the pre-womb lounge to here. From the pre-womb lounge to here. Okay, well, what do we say to all these pansy-ass flower-sniffing bitches? Mm, to all you pansy bitches. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now.
it has been a day a uh, day yeah yeah for sure for sure 